Have you ever heard the saying, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it? Have you heard that before? That's attributed to George Santayana, uh, Jorge Santayana, a philosophy professor at Harvard back over 100 years ago in the early 20th century. And Dr. Santayana's point is this, isn't it? That learning from our past mistakes, our, our own mistakes, or even the mistakes of other people is crucial for our growth. If we don't remember our past mistakes and determine to do things differently, we just tend to keep on repeating the same mistakes, don't we? Anybody else been there besides me? <laughs> Why did I do that again? Yes, learning from our past mistakes is opportunity for growth. Today is the last Sunday of 2021. Later this week, our calendars turn over to 2022. And you know what? The changing of the calendar provides a wonderful opportunity to pause and to reflect on life, to learn from the past and make fresh commitments for the future. Please, if you will, join me in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn or tap, whatever you do, but if you're able to turn into Deuteronomy chapter 8, we are just coming out of a four-week series, an Advent series here over the Christmas season at CCC and enjoyed very much that theme of the King is Coming. But today we return to our study in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Now, I know we have some guests among us today, and even for us regulars, it's been over a month since we're in Deuteronomy, let me just quickly review, that the children of Israel are on the verge of finally entering the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses is now 120 years old. He makes Alice Parker seem young. 120 years old. And he's standing in front of a new generation of Israelites. The parents and grandparents of this current generation had been repeatedly guilty of unbelief in God's promises and disobedient to God's commands. They're repeatedly marked by a culpable forgetfulness of the character of God and the commandments of God. And God's response to that culpable forgetfulness was to withhold entrance into the promised land. Forty years come and gone. And now a new generation is looking across the Jordan River at that long promised land. As we listen in Deuteronomy 8 to the message that God gave Moses to these people, they were charged to remember, to never forget the past, to learn from it, to learn from the failures of the past as they look forward to the future. They were to be intentional in remembering that God would lead them in faith, that they were to have faith in God and be faithful to God as they moved into this new life in the promised land. So you're open to Deuteronomy 8 now? Let's get an overview. You're going to notice what Moses does here as the Holy Spirit leads him to give this sermon to the younger generation of Israelites. He begins and ends chapter 8 by talking about the hard times the Israelites had had in the wilderness. Let me just read with you the first six verses, and then we're going to drop down to verse 14. I'm reading God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. 
The whole commandment that I command you today, shall, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. So you see what Moses is doing here. He's taking this younger generation and he's instructing them, look back at the hard times you experienced or your parents and grandparents experienced. He's not done yet. Let me just drop down partway through verse 14. I'm going to pick up mid-sentence and I'm going to read two and a half verses more. He says, "Who, speaking of the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So Moses begins and ends by talking about the hard times. In the middle of this section, Moses talks about the good times that lay ahead. So as the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, Moses says, there were hard times in the wilderness for 40 years, but now as you look at the promised land, there's some good times ahead. Let me read about that section as we read the beginning of verse 7. Listen to the contrast. He says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Let me just read that much for now. But he says, looking over your shoulder at the past, you can see the hard times you and your parents and grandparents experienced out there in the wilderness, hard times of deprivation. And you're looking ahead to the promised land, and it's going to be so different. And smack dab in the middle, verse 11, what does he say? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Take care lest you forget. The key point here in chapter 8 is the word remember. And so if you forget the details of the sermon today and you remember that one word, you're off to a good start. Remember. Moses says, friends, as you enter the promised land, as you go into these good times, I want you to remember. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what he did with your parents. Remember what he's going to do with you. 
When he says take care, take care is a command. It means to pay careful attention to. Now, often when we talk about, oh, remember this, remember that, um, you were together, some of you, with family the last couple of days, and uh, maybe even as you got together with relatives, someone said, hey, remember that time? Hey, do you remember when Uncle so-and-so? And, and all you're doing in those situations is recalling a past event. It's just an intellectual recollection of some past event. But in the Bible, and very specifically here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when Moses says, remember, it's, it's a much bigger thing than just recalling a past event. Because in the Bible, and in particular in the book of Deuteronomy, when you hear this word remember, it has to do with not only recalling something from the past, but then doing something with that. Doing something with that. You were supposed to act upon that. You were supposed to trust God. You were supposed to have faith in God and be faithful to God as an act of remembrance. And if you were being disobedient to God, that was called forgetting. Forgetting God, not remembering God. That remembering God meant that you're going to act on what you know about Him. What you know about His character, what you know about His commitment to His covenant. Knowing what you do about His commandments. You're remembering God and your life is being shaped by that. So Moses tells him to obey God to be faithful to him, to remember God, to have faith in him. That's all part of remembering. Now, Deuteronomy 8 was, I just explained, it was spoken to the younger generation of Israelites. But did you know that even though this was written or spoken to them, it was actually written for us? It says that. Paul says that in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me just read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 10. And I want you to see that when we study this passage today, it's speaking to us. The Apostle Paul wrote, by the Holy Spirit, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so even though today we're once again in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I, I don't want you to think, oh, that was for those people way back then. It doesn't have much to do with us. Oh, it has everything to do with us. The Holy Spirit led Paul to say all of that was written down for us. So I'm going to use first person sometimes today. We, okay? Verse 1 introduces this portion of Moses' sermon for the Israelites. He says, be careful to do the whole commandment. Now, a lot of people have seen that and wondered, why does he speak that way? Why doesn't he say, remember all these commandments of the Lord? He says, remember the whole commandment. And it's as if Moses is talking about the whole, the whole thing God's given them. We, we can think of all the stories in Genesis and Exodus. We can see all those commandments in, in Leviticus and Numbers and even Deuteronomy. And it's as if they're all God's will for this people, the Israelites. And the whole commandment, everything all together, Moses says, be careful not to forget that. He says, if you remember that, in other words, if you act on it, if hearing about God and his ways will stir your heart to have faith in God and be faithful to God, then what does he say? He says that you will possess the land God, the Lord, the Lord God swore to give to your fathers. You will live and multiply. And so there's blessing to come if they will remember God, if they will put their faith in Him, be faithful to Him. 
their life in the promised land should be sweet. Here's the key question. You ready? What might help them to be faithful to God in their commitments to Him? What's the key word in this passage? Remember. They were to remember. So thinking about our lives, Paul said this was written for us, for our instruction. How are we to be intentionally remembering God during the hard times? In some of our recent travels, Gladine and I were in a store where there were a lot of little knickknacks and gifts, and I saw a mug. I saw a mug. I said, Gladine, look at this. It said, it's been one of those days for the last three years. <laughs> and I thought, boy... I bet they're selling a lot of those mugs. It's been one of those days for the last three years. You know, I don't have to tell you that life's been more challenging in recent years than maybe it had been in the past. We all go through hard times. Now, I know, being alive as long as I have been and being a pastor for most of that, that some people in the Lord's mysterious providence, some people have more hard times than other people. And I don't know why that is. But God has decided that some people are going to have a lot of hard times. And other people have fewer. But you know what? There's something we all have in common. Whether your life is marked by a whole series of hard times, or if it's only once in a while you go through a hard time, the reality is that all of us are living what we call here at CCC the era between the gardens. The Garden of Eden's gone. And the Garden of the New Heaven and New Earth hasn't yet been revealed. It's not here yet. And so here we are traversing this place, this era between the gardens. And it's still marked by sin. It's still marked by the curse. I'll tell you what, friends. I was thinking about Revelation 22 the other day. Where John says there in the very last chapter of the Bible, he says... And no longer was there any curse. Ever since Genesis 3, this whole creation's been groaning. We groan as we live in this era between the gardens. And yet one day that curse will be lifted. There won't be any more sin. No more effects of sin. No more, no more sickness. No more COVID. No more death. No more funerals. Are you hungry for that day? But we're not there yet. We're still in this era between the gardens. We all live with hard times. We all have our wilderness experiences. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why does God do that? I mean, I've asked that as an individual. I've had plenty of people over the decades ask me, why does God take us through hard times? Why do we have to live with suffering? Why did my family member die? Why does so-and-so have to live with disabilities? Why, why did so-and-so lose their job? Why does God take us through hard times? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, the Holy Spirit says through Moses, he gives us several things, several reasons why God takes us through hard times. Did you see some of those? Look at verse 3. Moses says, God humbled you. He humbled the Israelites by making them hungry or letting them go through hunger. 
the hunger that the Israelites felt out there in the wilderness was purposeful in the plan of God. God wasn't surprised whenever, you know, the volume, the crescendo increased of the Israelites complaining, we're hungry! God didn't say, whoa, what happened? There was like, did I nod off? How did that hunger happen? God let them hunger on purpose. Why did he do that? Why does he let you hunger? When you go through seasons where you think, I sure wish it were different. Why does God take you? Why does he take me? Why does he take us through those seasons of hunger? Well, I think one common reason is he's very firmly but graciously pulling the false props out that we were trying to prop up our lives with to look for some sense of happiness, some sense of security. He's very graciously saying, no, that's not your hope, that's not your happiness, that's not your security. And he pulls the props out. So maybe we do lose our health. Or maybe we do lose our job. Or maybe we even lose a loved one. And he, he pulls the prop out and, and he's saying, trust me. Don't, don't trust in your health. People in our, people in, in, in our culture often say, well, as long as you have your health. I haven't heard that as much lately. You know, what do we mean by that? As if health is your security? God often makes us hungry. He leads us through times of hunger so that we would learn to trust him. He's the solid rock. He's the one we can depend on. Not our jobs, not our health, not friends, not family. Ultimately, he and he alone. And yet, surprisingly, what Moses describes here in Deuteronomy 8 is he takes this younger generation. He says, look back. Some of you are old enough to remember at least part of it. But you, you've at least heard the stories from your parents and grandparents who are now gone. Not only did God let them hunger, but what else did he do? He sent them manna. Manna, by the way, some of you have heard this. Manna, just, it's a Hebrew word that means, basically, if I could put it in modern American, what's that? <laughs> what's that? They'd never seen that before. Moses says that a couple times in this passage, something they'd never seen before. God miraculously provided this food that was called, what's that? He, he provided this manna. Why did he do that? Well, you know, we could answer that quickly and say, well, because they were hungry. He wanted to fill their bellies. But you know what? It wasn't just to fill their bellies. He let them hunger, and then he miraculously provided some what's that so that they would learn to trust him. So they wouldn't just trust on the gift, but they would trust the giver. He wanted them to trust him, the giver. That was to humble them, where they would say, oh, we need to depend on God and his word. We need to depend on what God says. You know, some of you remember this verse. It says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that, depend, that comes from the mouth of God. And you say, I've heard that somewhere before. Do you remember where? Not just Deuteronomy 8. Do you remember where else you've heard this? Jesus said it. Jesus said it when he was out in the wilderness. Matthew records it this way. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days, lights coming on, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see what's happening there in Matthew 4? Do you see what's happening to Jesus in the wilderness? Jesus not only remembered Deuteronomy 8, but he remembered the point of it all. He remembered it in context. Jesus quoted this accurately and appropriately. Israel, the Son of God collectively, Israel, the Son of God, failed in the wilderness. They failed. That's why they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They failed as the Son of God. But the Son of God, Jesus Christ, succeeded where Israel failed. When Jesus was in his wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, he did not fail. But his faith in his heavenly Father and his faithfulness to his heavenly Father remained strong. So that when Satan came and said, give it up, Jesus, just illegitimately, just satisfy your own hunger. You don't need to depend on your father. Jesus said, Satan, back off. Man doesn't just live on bread. He lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus succeeded. So it was to humble the Israelites. That's what the testing was for. It was, that's what the hunger was for. But it was also to test them. Do you see that there? Jesus said that he succeeded, but we go back to the Israelites, and God said to them, he gave, let them hunger, and he gave them manna to test them. What's the purpose of a test? Tests don't make the person, but tests reveal what's inside a person. You, you want to know what someone's really like, watch when they go through times of suffering. And it's as if God looked at his children, Israel, out there in the wilderness, and it's like he said, I, I want you to see what's really in there. I want you to see what's in your heart. It's like he, he took the lid off their heart so they could see what was in there. He wanted them to see how little they actually trusted him. So he took them through those hard times to test them. And he does that with us too, doesn't he? He tests us. Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to run to some idol, some idol of the heart? But there's a third reason why God took them through these hard times. Look at verse 5. It says to discipline them. Now the word discipline can mean like admonish or correct. But interestingly, it can also mean something like train someone. I think of the word discipling. We were just reading in our devotions recently, Gladine and I, in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, where a father says to his son, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So going through hard times is purposeful. It's not some mistake in the plan of God. It's not as if somehow this escaped God's directive. That God intentionally takes us through hard times to humble us, to test us so that we would see what's in our hearts, but also just to shape us, to discipline us. When you think about hard times, maybe some of you are going through, uh, I'm sure some of you are going through hard times right now. 
or you think back of hard times, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the potential pitfalls when we go through hard times? I'm not going to ask any of you to answer this out loud, but I would like you to think about it. What are some of the pitfalls that we often face when we go through hard times? When you're in pain, what is your common response to being in pain? Get me out of here. I don't like being in pain. And now that might be true physically. That is clearly true emotionally, relationally. When we go through hard times, often our first response is, get me out of here. And one of the potential pitfalls, one of the potential dangers when we go through hard times is trying to find something illegitimate to take away the pain or at least to dull it. We look for some way to get rid of the pain or at least dull it. And so we run after something that we think is going to fix it, at least somewhat fix it. Now, if what you run to is anything other than God, then that would be considered an idol of the heart. You're looking for something other than the Lord to save you from that pain or relieve you from that pain or dull the pain. And you know, I, I was thinking about naming some of the common idols of the heart. And then it struck me, if I start naming some idols of the heart, there might be a temptation on the part of some of us to say, well, you didn't name any of mine, so I guess I'm all right. There are so many potential idols of the heart. It's interesting, if you go back over 300 years, John Calvin, a, a well-known pastor and theologian from centuries ago, said, he said, our hearts are like idol factories. Think about that. Our hearts are like idol factories. That we just keep cranking out idols. We crank out idols of the heart. Like, you know, I think, I think if I have this, if I only had this, if I only had that, then I wouldn't feel so much pain. And so we run to this idol or that idol, thinking somehow that'll relieve the pain or at least dull it. But that's a pitfall. That, that'll suck us away from God, not toward God. In those moments when we run to the idols of our heart, you run to the idols of your heart, I run to mine, what that is, is forgetting God. In those moments, we're forgetting God. We're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about trusting Him, having faith in Him. We're not thinking about being faithful to Him, obeying Him. We're thinking about, I went out of pain. I went out of this now. It's a pitfall. But, on the other hand, there can be distinct benefits of going through hard times. If we go into hard times... Remembering God, remembering Him, very intentionally thinking about Him, His ways. Then it has a tendency to strengthen us, that our faith in God grows stronger and our faithfulness to God becomes more clear. Now, some of you can remember times like that in your life, that by God's grace, either you personally or someone close to you is going through a hard time, and you're with that person going through a hard time, and you say, wow, listen to her testimony. Listen to his testimony. Listen to his story, what he says about what he's experiencing in God, how he's finding delight in God, how he's finding confidence in God. 
And going through hard times can have distinct benefits, rewards. It's important, friends, when we go through hard times, that we remember God, that we're thinking about him very intentionally, increasing our faith in him and our faithfulness to him. But it's not only in the hard times that we're to remember God. We're to remember God in the good times, too. We read about that beginning in verse 7. And we all go through good times, too, don't we? For some of you, you say, well, it's been a while. Well, come on, let's think about it. We all have those good times. And, you know, this time of year, maybe some of those are very recent. When you were with family members, maybe, that you hadn't seen for a while, and you say, that was so good. That was just so good to be together with that family member. It was so good to have this experience, or so good to have time off school, or, or time off of work, you know. And, and we all go through good times, too. When God spoke to the Israelites through the prophet Moses, he says, you're about to enter the promised land, and did you hear the contrast? Now, it's hard for us. It's hard for us in our 21st century Western culture to appreciate how this must have sounded to those Israelites, how this must have felt to those Israelites. But many of them, many of them, let's say in their early 40s and younger, what was the only life they'd ever known? What was the only life they'd ever known? It was the wilderness. That was life to them. That was all they'd ever experienced was life in the wilderness. And you know what that was like? There were times when they didn't have enough water to drink. We're not talking about having enough water for your spa. They didn't have enough to drink. Sometimes for days, they'd run out of food. And they lived with that, some of them, for their whole lives. The only thing they'd ever known was life in the desert, where life was hard, that there was a lack of water. There would be many times there would be a lack of food. That you had to break camp again. We're moving again. We're moving again, Dad. Well, son, the pillar's moving. We're moving. We heard the trumpet. It's time to move. And so you pack up and you move again. That was the life they'd known. And Moses says, see over there, the promised land? Lots of water there. So for an agrarian people, a, a shepherding people, Having water was like, oh, this is so nice. And he says, there's streams there, there's brooks, there's, there's springs flowing out of the hill, and with the water comes crops. There's going to be wheat, there's going to be barley, you're not going to have scarcity anymore. And for some in this generation, it's like, you're kidding me. I mean, like, there's always going to be food? There's always going to be water? Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good time. Not only that, but even says there's going to be mineral resources. There's going to be iron and copper. There's going to be resources you can use to make life easier for you. What is the purpose of going through good times? You go through good times. I go through good times. What's the purpose God has in taking us through good times? Well, he's wanting to bless us. Isn't he kind? But he wants us to, when we go through good times, to remember those good times, where they came from, where those blessings came from. He wants us to remember that they came from him, the giver. And it says in verse 10, 
that they were to bless the Lord your God. And so the purpose of going through good times is so we can just, in a sense, step back in amazement, step back in astonishment and say, isn't he good? Isn't God good? Look how kind he's been to us, that, that we have food and, and we have water and, and we have homes. We have a place we can call home. Isn't God good? Hasn't he been good to us? He wants us to be impressed with his generosity. He wants us to respond in worship, in, in grateful worship. But you know, friends, and so do I, and the older you are, the more you can relate to what I'm saying here, is that going through good times also has potential pitfalls. What are some of the potential pitfalls of going through good times? Look at verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. We can go through good times with ungrateful hearts. We can forget God in the good times. There's a culpable ignoring of God, a guilty ignoring of God. When we're so caught up with the gift that we are ungrateful to the giver. A second potential pitfall is that sense of entitlement. The we can think, well, I deserve this. I, I forget where I read this, but I wrote it down. It says, what a strange creature man is. When he lacks, he complains that he didn't get what he deserved. And when he does get his fill, he praises himself or his good luck. Either way, sin draws us away from God. Isn't that fascinating? That sometimes when we go through the hard times, we think, well, why am I not getting what I deserve? I've, been a, I've lived a good life. I've, I've worked really hard. Why does, he have, why does he have all that money and I don't? I've been eating healthy. I lost weight, and yet, look, I'm sick. And look, that person over there doesn't care about his health. He looks just fine to me. Well, I deserve better than this. And we can be going through good times, and, and we have this sense of entitlement. I deserve better than this. But then whenever the Lord does bless us, we think, well, that was lucky. Well, finally, I got what I deserved, a sense of entitlement. Another pitfall is the pride of presumption. Verses 17 and 18, I think we see this in verses 17 and 18. We tend to congratulate ourselves, say, well, I did this. Friends, prosperity can be a gift from God, but it also can be dangerous because it can move us toward pride. It says in this passage, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. If we're going to guard our hearts against this pride and presumption, what, what can help us guard our hearts that way? We need to remember something else. You see that in verses 14, 15, 16. There, Moses says, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery that the children of Israel were to look back. They were to look back and remember either what they personally experienced as young people or maybe the stories they heard from their mom and dad, their grandpa and grandma. They were to remember these stories about slavery in Egypt. And they were supposed to remember that God rescued them out of that slavery in Egypt. And every year, God says, I want you to keep a particular festival to, to lead you to remember. Do you remember what that festival was? It was the... Passover, that every year, God says every year, this wasn't the only one, but this was a key one, every year I want you to celebrate the Passover to remember, I spared you, I spared you. 
You could, have, you could have perished along with the Egyptians, but I spared your sons. When you put that blood over the doorpost, I spared you. And they were to remember that every year when they killed that lamb and they took the blood of that lamb, they were to remember God was kind to us in rescuing us out of slavery. Remembering what God had done for them in the past was to move them to to be grateful and humble. And you know, you say, well, well, we're not Israelites, most of us at least. We're Gentiles. Well, we're New Covenant believers, and you know what? We need to remember, too, where the Lord has brought us from. Colossians chapter 1 says this in verses 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. It is so important for us as New Covenant believers to remember. To remember that we used to be slaves. In what way were you a slave in the past? You were a slave to, to sin, to Satan, to your own selfishness. And it's important for us to remember where we've come from. The pit from which God drew us to remember. Now, we don't have to wait until we have communion as a church, but I think one of the benefits of celebrating communion together as a church family is to remember. To remember that we've been redeemed with the precious blood of the Son. That we have regular reminders that I don't deserve the life I have. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to Satan. I was a slave to my own selfishness. And God, in His amazing grace, rescued me from that that we have these reminders to humble us and to keep us faithful to God. Let me speak to those of us that are parents and grandparents here. It's so important to tell the coming generation the stories of God's grace. In Psalm 78, I read these verses. I'm going to read selectively from Psalm 78. It says, We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders he has done so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And just like this younger generation of Israelites had heard the stories from their parents and grandparents, the children and the grandchildren here in our church should be hearing the stories of God's grace from those of us that are older. That we're not going to withhold those from the younger generation, but we're going to tell them, the Psalms say, the mighty deeds of the Lord mighty deeds of the Lord. We tell those stories so that the younger generation would hear about this great and gracious God we serve. The key word here in Deuteronomy 8 is the word remember. Now there's a couple more verses we haven't talked about yet and they're a little bit scary. No, they're a whole lot scary to talk about. But let me just read to you verses 19 and 20. Moses ends Deuteronomy 8 with a warning. It sounds like this. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now what boggles my mind here is that these people were about to enter the promised land. Hundreds of years before, God had told their ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he had told their ancestors, I'm giving you this land. One day your descendants will inherit this good land, rich in water and resources. 
And these people were about to enter that land. And yet even though they were about to enter the promised land, God warns them through Moses, you could still perish. You say, well, we're not in the wilderness anymore, Moses. We're not out there in the wilderness with scorpions and snakes and all those things. What do you mean we could perish in the promised land? Well, there's always that danger of thinking, because I'm living in this sweet place, I must be okay. And he's saying, even if you're living in the sweet promised land, you need to remember that you're not, you're not saved by osmosis. The fact that you're living in the promised land doesn't automatically make you right with God. You still need to have faith in God and show that by being faithful to God. And you ask, well, how does that relate to us? Well, we're not living in the ultimate promised land yet. We're not living in the new heaven and new earth yet. But you know what? We're living in the foretaste of that. That's what the church is. Did you know the church is like a prototype of the good things to come? The church is like the prototype. God says, I, I want the world to see what I'm about to do in redemption. I, I want the world to see what I can do in a fallen world. And he, he saved the likes of you and me, and he, he brought us together as the church. And it's like the church is a foretaste of good things to come. And I, I want to say something to you kids that are here. I am so glad you kids are growing up in the context of the local church. What a gift from God. What a gift from God. That he's given you parents, grandparents, who care enough about you, care enough about your soul, to bring you up in the context of the local church. And yet, my young friends, you realize that growing up in this foretaste of the promised land is not a guarantee that you're right with God. So many benefits of growing up in the context of the local church. and You can perish in the promised land. But you don't become a Christian just by osmosis. You know, I'm just here, it just kind of soaks in, right? It's kind of automatic, right? Even if you're growing up in the promised land, the church, if you will, there is still the need to put your faith in Christ alone. By grace alone. Do not be presumptuous upon the grace of God, but even as a young person to turn to the Lord and say, save me a sinner because of your son Jesus Christ and what he's done on my behalf. The key word in Deuteronomy 8 once again is remember. So here's my last question. How how do we grow as rememberers? Let me say that slowly. How, how do we grow as rememberers? How do, we, how, how, how do we develop our remembering muscles? Let me give you two foundational points here. Number one, look for God in the word before you. Now, God has blessed us in our era to have access to his word in our language. That we can read the Bible. I know this time of year, a lot of people say, well, you know, in the new year, I want to do things differently. Wonderful. Some of you have a habit already of reading God's word regularly. 
If you're not in that habit yet, can I encourage you to develop the delightful habit, the, the joyful habit of reading God's Word regularly. And then look for God in the Word before you. When Glad and I sit down in the morning to read, I often pray briefly before I read, Holy Spirit, show me Christ today. Show me Christ today. And I'll tell you what, my Christian friends, I'm convinced that I don't have to twist the Holy Spirit's arm to say yes. That's exactly what he wants to do. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that it's him, the Holy Spirit, who draws our attention to Christ. That whether you're reading in Deuteronomy or, or the book of John, you see Christ, you see your need for Christ, you see Christ as the fulfillment of all that you need. And you look for him, you pray, Lord, show me yourself in your word. And as you read the Bible, look for God, look, look for his character. What do you see about God's character? You look for his commitment to his covenant. What is he telling you about his grace, his, his gospel? You look for his commandments. How does he want me to live? Those imperatives, the commandments, are always grounded on the indicatives, aren't they? The, the statements of fact about who God is and, and what he's done for us. And, and seeing God in the Bible, we, we see his character, the indicative of his character. This is what God's like. We see those statements of fact about what he's done for his people. And then we read the commandments and we say, oh, what a delight it is to be faithful to him, to, to obey this gracious God. So look at the word, look for God in the word before you. And then secondly, let me say this, look for God in the world around you. Look for God in the world around you. Let me give you a verse to think about. Maybe you'll want to memorize this. It's actually from the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36. It's part of the doxology as Paul comes to the end of 11 chapters of talking about the grace of God. And as he's been writing page after page about the grace of God, he, he breaks forth in this word of praise and he says this. I'm going to read it aloud and then I'm going to ask you to read it a second time with me, emphasizing the prepositions. Let me explain that. Romans 11:36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Would you like to say that with me? Emphasizing the words I just emphasized, the prepositions. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You think about the truth packed into that one little verse. And you use that verse to help you see God in the world around you. That everything is from God. Friends, life doesn't just happen. Life isn't random. It's not meaningless. We must see all of life as being from God. To live in a God-centered way. It's called theocentrically. We live in a God-centered way, not in an egocentrically. We don't live in a me-centered life. We live in a God-centered life. We, we look at daily life. I'm talking about your daily life, my daily life. We look at daily life from a God-centered standpoint. We're always thinking about God, that everything I'm experiencing, everything I have, 
Everything is from him. Everything is through him. In other words, God is sovereign over our daily lives, both the hard times and the good times. Now, I might be stepping on toes here. I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings, but I want to say something that I think needs said. And that is that I see Christians who live with this assumption that God shows up when I need him. Well, that's true. <laughs> but he doesn't just show up when you need him. I mean, we tend to live, we tend to live, I think, as, as if I can handle most of life. You know, I can handle most of life, but there are those times when I just need God to show up. And so I pray, and you know what? He intervenes. He, he just kind of shows up now and then and helps me out of this tough spot. I mean, I can handle normal life, right? I can handle the normal days. But there are some of those days that I just need God to show up. And so I ask him, can you just show up today? Can you intervene today? And he goes, oh, okay, I can, I can come over there to your life today, help you through that hard time. Oh, no, the Bible says all things, all things, all things are from him and through him. Nothing comes into your life that does not pass through the plan and the hand of God. Nothing. Everything. Your hard times, your good times, everything is from God and through God. 24-7. And everything is to God. In other words, everything that happens to you is for the glory of God. Let me give you a personal illustration of this. I love being a grandparent, and all seven of our grandchildren are here today. And like every grandparent, my grandkids are very gifted. And, you know, we look at our grandkids sometimes, and it's so tempting to say, boy, you sure are smart. Or, boy, you sure are artistic. Or, boy, you sure are athletic. As if somehow that's their doing. But let, let's just say you have an intellectually gifted grandchild. Is that to that grandchild's credit? Did, did she make herself, did he make himself intelligent? Why, why is your grandchild not like that other person's grandchild that can't speak a word at 10 years of age? But why is your grandchild different? Why is your grandchild gifted athletically when someone else's grandchild's in a wheelchair for her whole life? I was talking to a couple of our grandkids a couple of different occasions, and you grandkids can remember this. I remember very clearly saying one time about a giftedness one of our grandchildren had, and I said, if I handed you a $10 bill right now, I just handed you a $10 bill and never said a word, what would be the first question coming to your mind? And you said, what did you want me to do with this? And I said, exactly. What did you want me to do with this? Why did you give me this ability to learn? Why did you give me this physical ability to do things? Why did you give me this creative skill? What did you want me to do with this? And you know, it's not just kids, is it? So often we have certain abilities or maybe even certain resources, and we think somehow that's someone should be patting us on the back because we have a certain ability 
to do things with our hands or to think things with our mind or be creative in a certain way. And we think people should be praising me for that. Now, hold on a minute. What do you have that you've not received? All things are from him and through him and to him. And so whatever we have in life, the ability to speak, the ability to do things with our hands, a home, a car, money in the bank, no matter what we have, abilities, resources, we, we should do what I'm trying to teach our grandchildren to do. We look at that. We look at that. And then we look up and we say, Father, what did you want me to do with this? Because everything, everything is from him and through him and to him for his remember that, to remember God every day. We read Deuteronomy 8, and we see the importance of remembering God. That's more than intellectual recollection. That's seeing God for who He is, His character, seeing what God's done for us, His commitment to His covenant, seeing what God wants us to do, His commandments. And then by His grace, by His kindness, we order our lives accordingly, that we remember God. And that moves us to live lives of gratitude in which, what does it say? You'll bless the Lord your God, that we live with attitudes of gratitude, that we're blessing His name. Let me pray for us as the brothers come to lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, we stand in your presence as people who so often forget you. Thank you for your patience. You've been so kind, so patient with us. And Lord, we ask that your spirit might continue to shape us and mold us to be more like your son who is faithful to you, even in his wilderness. Help us to be faithful in remembering who you are, what you've done for us, and what you've called us to. And Lord, help us as a church that we might pass that on to the coming generations as we talk to the young people in this church and help us to remind one another of who you are, of what you've done for us and how you want us to live for you. Come and honor our church in this coming year, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.